Welcome to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. Your hosts are Alex Pachuk and John Massey. We have conversations with folks throughout the tech industry to get real-world perspective on how people make things happen for their careers and businesses. Check out pragmatically.com for more content just like this. Mike, welcome and thank you for hanging out this morning. There's something that you said that I wanted to hear more about and I think more people can hear more about is um, the effectiveness of or the impact a product person has on in our world the technical work right so before kind of we get in why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself like your maybe your role what you've been up to recently yeah sure so head of engineering over at Billy we're a two and a half year old um, women's body brand startup so an e-com direct to consumer startup and yeah some of the challenges that we're, that we're faced with you know, I was essentially the first engineering hire. We had done a lot with consultants. A lot of e-com startups these days, a lot of startups these days can get up um, off the ground running really, really quickly with a lot of different like platform providers and different services that didn't exist, you know, you're at Priceline, didn't exist 20 years ago. And so like it's a different game. So, so then you kind of have to be like, all right, we've outgrown these partners. Do we get off of them? So it's a different game. You can get up really, really quickly with a very small engineering team, and then you slowly start to grow engineering teams, the product teams, to, to, to start to see, like, what do you want to, you know, can you stay on the same partners and build upon them and grow the business, or do you have to start to invest to, to get the platforms to the point that you need to be? It's interesting. So when we think about product, it's, um, you know, the technology organization, I'm, I'm officially VP of technology. And so it's like, and I consider product to be part of technology, although it, it's a little bit of a gray area. And I think different companies do it differently. But because we're a physical product, um, there's essentially a physical product and digital product. So the delineation is actually like way clearer in a space like, like ours than maybe it is in other companies. But So that's the challenge I'm, I'm faced with. It's kind of like develop a technology org. And so the role of product it is incredibly important to me. It's actually one of the, one of the reasons I took the opportunity is to, to help shape and form that. I didn't even consider that. You do have a, a physical product, right, at Billy and the digital product. Is curious, is the product team the same or do they think the same? Is there a dynamic there? Between the two, no, no it's not. And the term like digital product, it's really it's a completely different world. It's like a different country and they, they don't really we're almost an accessory to physical product. So they're one of the inputs that we have. So, so, and what's interesting is because it was a physical product first, that was usually the driver of, of really everything of the company. And so what we're starting to do is, is look, you know, you got to think about it. You start up a company, you're like, ah, I need some technology. Well, let's hire out these consultants to kind of build this technology for us. Now that we're growing a team, it's kind of a little bit different where it's like, Hey, not only can we continue to support here, but we're not just a support organization. We're, we're actually a growth organization. So finding ways to, to actually um, pitch that, that invest in technology. It's not like we just get the support better. Invest in technology and we actually can grow the business. So we don't really, we, you know, they're coordinative efforts around product launches, physical product launches. But, and, and I started my career in physical product, I guess you could say, mechanical engineering. And uh, I left it because you know, it takes so long to roll out anything physical. It's not like, you know, software, you could start, you and I could, could spend a weekend and have a site up and start taking money, right? So uh, <laughs> you don't do that when you have to like get an ingredients list and, and get manufacturers and do product packaging and prototyping and actually see if it works and make sure, you know, it's healthy for everyone. Like that stuff takes a long time. So, so no, their lead times are way, way different than ours. And so, so we end up being more of an accessory to, to physical product development. You said that um, the technical team was, I thought it was interesting, it was to support the physical product. So that, was there a transformation that you had to go through? Like maybe tell it, tell us about a time, the time before, because like what inspired this conversation, why I want to talk to you about this is your energy. You were so, you had so much enthusiasm that seemed kind of, I don't want to say new because you've always been very enthusiastic and uh, motivated and driven, but specifically around the introduction, it sounded like you had a new colleague kind of join the team that really had an effect on your work life and really for the better. And that was a product person. It sounds like there was a time before that. And I can draw some parallels between my experience where 
it was you had the business team and the and your technology team in the beginning is kind of like an appliance for or a support role for the business. But yeah. I, I'm seeing a parallel with the with how you described the physical product because I think that's actually what the business team is trying to represent is the physical product. Yeah. But at some point, there's your technical presence becomes another product, right? Or a voice for the product, and you're in some ways looking to improve on that on its own merits. Mm-hmm. So there's the, that transition period between when a business is using technology to try to grow an audience and establish itself, and then when the technology becomes a product of its own. Is that kind of a similar, a similar? would you describe that kind of in a similar way that you kind of, with something that you went through recently? Yeah. So the experience that we both shared, the business team, you know, is, is essentially the physical product here, right? And so, you know, the, the difference we have now is that it's hard to kind of explain, but like where we are, it's like business and technology. So essentially physical product and digital product slash technology where you're at, where it's, it's all decom, um, but it's, it's all essentially digital product, even though it results in a physical product, you've got business product <laughs> and technology, right? So, so that, that's a tough spot to be in, right? That's a real tough spot to be in. And, and that was frustrating, I think, for everyone. And, and, and that happens, I believe, at the time that happens through um, operations in the new world I'm in is a different operations than, than would be in, in uh, last place. But, like, it's organizational stuff. Like, you build the orgs that way, and I think, what is it um, – What's the, the famous communication versus organization? There's some theory, I forgot his name. And there's like somebody's like, like the way that you divide up your organization is you're defining the walls of communication. Oh, your, your, Somebody. Te- your technical organization is organized by your social one? Some, some guy's name. We'll have to annotate this later. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> we'll look it yeah, up. Use, we'll have to use the Oracle for this. But I find that, that 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 was really the case there. So here we don't have that. Uh, we have like essentially, you know, here. So so now we've got physical product, and this is like digital product. So within this, you've got product and technology. Uh, so I really look at it as technology, product, and engineering. And you might even be able to say data in there, but data's got like a little bit of everything. So with that, you've got it's a lot easier to to drive initiatives within here. We're all excited in here about the same things. Whereas in a world like you had, you've got business product and technology, you're all excited about your own things, right? And so mm-hmm. you've all got your own needs. But I really believe that if you're dealing with technology, it's really, really important to, to be on the same page, product and engineering. And that's really all technology. And once they're, they're not, once you have a product owner who, who can't talk about engineering and engineers who can't talk about the business, I think you got a really big problem. You really all should be talking about the business and how to meet the needs of the business. And that, that may mean, uh, hey, we really have to refactor this thing. It's going to take us three weeks. We have to absolutely replatform it because we're going to be paying for it. We're going to be grinding to a halt in two years. And that needs to be a conversation about business. And it's an engineering conversation, but it's really a business conversation. And that needs to be had with, um, with product and engineering together. So I look at that as technology. Yeah. So, so for the experience, I think uh, the, um, the kind of timeline of, of the company that I'm working with is kind of had three phases. You had the first phase, which was like, let's just kind of be scrappy with some consultants, you know, no kind of formal technology org or anything like that. That The next one was like, all right, let's, you know, bring in a head of engineering and let's start doing some like, you know, product management and project management. I kind of kind of knew it, but at Priceline, like, the discipline was actually really strong about how product management went. It is some of the culture of the, the, you know, the needs kind of drove it awry, I think. And I still, I think does still drive it awry. Uh, although I, I think there's likely a lot of things have changed since, since I've been there and, and probably for the better, hopefully. So that was kind of like phase two. We're in phase three right now. Hopefully not. I've heard some things, which is good. And then like phase three is like bring in a head of product who's really got the fundamentals of product management the design, the kind of, um, not design, it's what I want, the kind of DNA, fundamentals of product management. And when I say the fundamentals of it, like, and kind of like good product hygiene, it's this idea of like, you know, MVP, lean testing, you know, saying no to redesigns first, you know, and uh, being careful, being able to to know that like refactor actually like is is a function of a, of a, of a healthy engineering and, and technology org that sometimes you don't need to do it. And then also like strategy, like, hey, this is like 
Let's think about this in terms of quarters. Let's think about this in terms of sprints. Let's think about this in terms of, of like uh, of years and, and all this kind of stuff. Within that, in order for that to work, you need this trust. And it's like a relationship, right? Mm. You, you need trust. There's like a yin and there's a yang. And you, you, need, you need trust. Product needs to be able to trust that when they talk to the engineering leader, the engineering leader isn't like, yeah, let's use, I don't know, insert new technology here <laughs> that I want to play around with. And, you know, there's really no business value to it other than maybe it'll make some engineers excited, but, you know, it may actually tax us a year later or something like that, which, and there's reasons for that. And certain companies, like that's actually like more important, like depending on the kind of talent you're trying to, to do. But I think for e-com sites that are kind of just, you know, doing e-com, there, there might not be a ton of benefit for us there. So, so there has to be a trust that like, that you have that like this person's going to tell it to you like it is and and not try to pull the wool over your eyes. And then this person over here also being like, hey, I understand and I know that that investment in, in engineering in this way are going to affect the business this way. And I know that like engineers love to own. I know that engineers love to to be able to do some hackathons here and there. And like it's uh, and, and then be able to kind of shift. Sometimes the needs of the business and the technology org may lean more towards like driving revenue or driving like retention or this kind of stuff. Or it may be like, oh, we need to be like more stable. We need to be more secure. Like we can't take the load that we used to be able to take, or now we've got this new application and it and it really needs um, iterating on it, which is what we're doing right you know, a lot. We can't do it without refactoring this API. And, and having a great product head, they can play any of those roles. And they're still that kind of yin and yang partner in all those roles, even though this is probably closer to the comfort zone. So an engineering leader is, is probably going to stay closer to the platform than they are to like, you know, moving, moving dollar signs on conversion and this kind of stuff, you know, but having a strong product lead, they, they play that same role, any of those pillars that you're chasing. So, but yeah, once that person came on game change and I got a lot happier in my role and a lot more engaged in my role because I was like, damn, I've got that partner who can kind of go out, can be the liaison between all the other departments. They understand strategy. They're actually better at pitching the strategy of business and breaking it down to, to leadership than I am. That's kind of like their strength. That wasn't really my strength. And I think like any good team is, is comprised of a bunch of people who's, who have varying strengths in different parts and then they come together. And again, it's like a collective yin and yang. And with that, they're able to, to to make a better team because you've got those differences. But, I mean, you know, this is this is the idea of, of diverse teams. And so for me, having that partner who like loved kind of driving strategy and, and talking the business was was a game changer. And they can do it responsibly. I didn't have to have the conversation of like, you know, we actually can't rebuild that API in a month. It's actually impossible. We don't have the people. And even if we got the people right now, we wouldn't be able to ramp them up. So. So yeah, it, it was definitely game was changed when that, that role came in. And I trust that person a lot and they've made me better and the company better. Mike, that's uh, very interesting. So you said um, there's a couple of areas that I think tell a very powerful story. We kind of start, it sounded like like the tech, there's an evolution in the relationship of parts of an organization. So maybe the, it sounds like the way you described it, that, and, it, and it's common, I think it's just common in many companies too, is that the technology is, starts out as a service to the, to, to the business, but then at some point, technology kind of, kind of gets elevated into a partnership role. And the bridge is almost maybe this product team. And I'm sensing that there's, there are, a good product relationship is a partnership between technology leadership and the product people. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, I think you described it well. Yeah, I think you need that healthy. They really are like, they are best buds. Yeah. Their product, they're best buds. They really have to be at a company that you want to do anything with engineering, with technology. Yeah, they have to be best buds. I've had a wonderful opportunity to be in that, in that position. I, I sense what you mean. It's almost, it's not that you're always, it's not you're answering each other's question or you're not, uh, you're not uh, finishing each other's sentences, but there's this constant feedback loop, right? Checking in on each other and caring about each other. So, so Mike, what are some things or strategies or signs that you look for in a product organization as a technical leader? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I'll think back to my interview questions when we were when we were hiring for a head of product, you know, maybe like six months ago. 
some of the questions I had were, you know, some of them are on project management, right? Which, which a lot of people can do. It doesn't make a, a great product manager. And some excel at project management, some don't, and some don't want to do it. Some do want to do it. It depends on the, the type of person you are. I'm kind of the belief that I'd rather distribute it. And, and the product head that we have right now is also like, you know, I, I can do project management, but it's not my, it's not what I really love to do. So let's actually distribute it. So for example, we have retrospectives today and somebody on the team's leading it. We roll dice and people leave the different scrum ceremonies simply because we don't want the product owner doing it all the time and because she doesn't want to do it. And it's not our strength. So it's like, we'll do the things you don't love. <laughs> we distribute it. <laughs> oh, it's so simple. Don't do the thing you don't love. Um, but uh, so I guess, one thing that you can do that that's a good way to add that relationship there is we have um is the check-in so you know once a week we have a standing one-on-one and we do it before our our leadership uh have a touch base with the co-founders we report to the co-founders directly together so we have touch with them yeah together together so yeah the orgs are reforming and we'll see how how things end up and, and, and i'm cool with whatever way they end up because right now like whatever we've got going on is successful so so yeah, we have a technology checkpoint with the co-founders once a week, which is really important, actually. Kind of show what you're driving, hold all of us accountable to kind of have this kind of, I don't know, we, we've actually done really, really well with this. Like to have like essentially the CEOs be able to, to say, ah, oh, we really should build this thing. And we're like, yeah, that's great. If that's really important to you, let's do it. But we agreed to this stuff. So which one of these things are going to go? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, maybe we shouldn't move that because this this isn't as important as that. So the conversation now is they know that we prioritize heavily. And I will thank uh, Agile Scrum for that. It gives us a real great way to to deliver and guarantee delivery. And once you can guarantee delivery and you start guaranteeing delivery, I looked at one of my first projects on the, the, the company was like a six or seven month critical reimagining of the website um, pre-com. And they just hired me. They didn't know if I could deliver. And we, we nailed it. And, and when you nail it, and you nail it because of this process, people are like, all right, I ain't going to mess with that process anymore. Okay, these people can deliver. And so like, you start talking in terms of that stuff. But anyway, so we have these check-ins once a week. And so we have check-ins with leadership. And so the head of product and I, we have check-ins right before that, the day before. But honestly, I'm on the, I'm on the phone with this person probably once or twice a day. We just have calls. And like, we'll get out of a meeting and we're like, oh, let's, let's just talk about that. And so like, we're really, really best buds at the organization. And that's really what it should be with. And we're not, there's overlap, but there's not a ton of overlap. So I think looking for people who are compliments to you, who do the things, well, it's like, it's like, we're like mini co-founders, right? So it's like, if you're going to co-found a company, you don't want somebody who loves all the things that you love and have the same strengths as you do. You really want people who compliment you. And, and so I think, you know, that's what we have. So, so looking for a partner who, who has strengths that are different than yours and that you'll be compliments on and you won't be stepping on each other's toes. We never step on each other's toes. So these check-ins really, really help. In those check-ins, you just got to gotta talk. So, you know, one thing that's great about product is like they're often like running what's they, – they do a lot of the prioritization, and, and so they know what, what is important to the business more than – the team It's distributed, but they, they usually know more of that stuff, and they're, they're kind of figuring out what goes into the sprint. And it's a conversation, of course, but they kind of know what's going to the sprint. And – with it, they also know when we slip and they know when something's not getting done as well. And they need to have that conversation to the engineering manager, right? The engineering man, like they might know that they're working with a dev or something. They might be like, hey, this dev's kind of flipping up a bit. It's been a couple sprints in a row. Like, you know, you're doing anything on that. And, uh, you know, it's tough to hear it, but you need to know that because sometimes you have blind spots with it, right? You know how this is. And so, so, so that's really good. So it's got to be a conversation and for me. Like, you know, there's been times where I'm like, so uh, how are you doing? Like, are you happy uh what about this project management stuff you like it and they're like no actually i i've never really done it at my other places i never really loved it but i i felt like this was what the person was doing here before i got here so i have to continue it so then we're like oh well let's just find a way to distribute let's try something different and so being open to evolving and changing is really good so i think that's good some other questions that i asked one was really cool one i said you know if you ever have you ever owned a headless product you ever owned a, a product that was an api or a platform or something like that I think that's a really important question to ask in the technology org because you don't want just somebody who's like been able to skin a landing page or something like that. You want somebody who knows that like that you can do a lot with technology. Um, mm. And a lot of that stuff, as you know, John, you're doing a lot of the stuff right now is like it doesn't have a head to it. It doesn't have a face. You can't even see it. But by, mm -hmm. by knowing it exists, it powers the user experience or it powers 
you know, something else like development uh, speed and all this kind of stuff. So it's curious to building all this kind of stuff. So, so I asked that question. Another question I ask is, is, have you ever had to kill a product? This one's really kind of important because sometimes you have a product that you're running and, and you have a vision and it's, and it's on the roadmap and it, and it just ain't working. You're testing it. It's just not working. Or, the, you know, the environment changes, the industry changes in the middle of it. This is why you don't really do these long waterfall projects, but you never know. Something happened. Like COVID is a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could still be going agile and really still have to, like, change course heavily because things have changed. Usually, like, going agile protects you against that stuff. You know, any. Let's be honest. Anybody who was going waterfall for a year-long, two-year-long project in the middle of COVID uh, or did it before we started COVID is probably like, oh. Uh, it goes in there, of course. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, being flexible there. So, so I ask those kind of questions. And then you also want people who are, who are kind, who can relate to developers, who want kind culture. You really want like a happy culture. I think it's very easy to go sour on a development team and, and really like, I think, great product engineering technology teams like, they get together really, really well and they, it is really truly cross-functional and there's no like, you need to have empathy for both. So I always say for engineers, you know, you always need to be talking to business and for product people, they all always need to be like, know enough about technology to be able to, to be in the conversation. But engineers need to be able to talk in terms of the business because that's the common language that we have. And so, so I look for somebody that can do all that kind of stuff. And, and then last one that I did, at least in this role was, you know, I wanted to make sure I said, when have you ever had to uh, essentially sell an idea and get it on board? Something that was tough that people originally you know, disagreed with. And how, how were you able to sell it through, right? Uh, John, you've done this a million times. So like, you could probably write a book on it. Um, but trying to get, you know, try to see how they could do that. Because I also knew that, like, I'm in a small company. The co-founders are very, very close to the metal. And it's their baby, you know? And so, like, how do you get to be able to develop that trust to be able to come up with new ideas and, and pitch them and, and get them and also be able to put those across different departments? So I, I look for that. This isn't a head of product. I mean, but I think product owners would have to do the same thing, right? They'd either have to sell their, their superiors on it or their side to side. I, I think, like, you know, great leaders will manage up and side to side and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the things I look for for a, a product, product person. There's so much I can ask questions about. If you and I were going to go and, and motivate leaders or technology organizations to start getting engaged, because there are some companies, you said you've, you've talked to your product person a couple of times a day. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it may, depending on the meetings that we have. Yeah, because we start chatting on Slack, and it's like, oh, I'm too excited. I've got to talk to you about this. So Yeah. It's like That's- you would do with a co-founder. Oh, you, same with the co-founders. You talk to them daily. No, 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 no. You know, it, it's honestly not like that with the co-founders. I'm saying it's the same that you would do with a co-founder. Like you had a product if you're a head of engineering or, like, or if you're a dev manager and you've got like a product lead that you're working with. I believe great healthy ones are like those are like, it's like you could chose a co-founder to start your own mini startup within a company. Right? Yeah. So yeah. That's why we talk like that. But. So I know some or technical or at least the technical organizations I've been a part of, the touch points are farther and fewer in between. I think at one point, the closer my product person was, the better our relationship was. And I mean that geospatially. So they, they were sitting at the same table as me and we were constantly talking. And what I've noticed is when, as that starts to kind of separate and your touch points are once a week, once every two weeks, you're just writing a report for them once a week there's the lossiness starts to grow and the relationships, right? And what kind of work we start to focus on becomes a bit more one-sided. And when we come to the table with ideas, the motivation to engage in each other's thoughts is lower, it's reduced. So I think that's a really, do you, would you say that good tech product business culture is one where they're communicating maybe not as formally, but more informal communication, more frequent informal communication between individuals. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's like you need to be more like co-founders than the political parties, right? So like when you've you got like totally really know. like... You're using the term co-founder. I think there's something significant there. Yeah, because I think... So, so the company I'm in has two co-founders and they're, they're both like, um, you know, essentially co-CEOs. And, you know, they, they started up, at, I don't know where they, where they were, but like, um, I would imagine one table coming up with an idea and they're like, let's do this, you know, like think about, you know, the kind of um, incubators, right? So it's something like that. 
And at that point, you don't choose somebody that you can't work with, right? Like, you need to choose somebody who's like, like you can't, like, you just can't, like, that would be terrible. You could, but, like, imagine, okay. Yeah, well, you know, some of us are, but, like, no judgment. But, okay, so think about, you know, whoever or whatever experience you had that you were just thinking about where, you know, it was actually, like, you know, you were just, like, sending reports to them and and the distance grew further okay think about that person would you ever start a company with that person no i don't think i would no exactly but but now think about the person that you were closest to that you were sitting right next to that you were casually chatting with would you start a company with that person yeah i have yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) okay okay so that's it exactly is is, like i think really really healthy uh product product and, and tech uh, leaders, they work together like that, like co-founders. And I think that that's the best way to do it. I, you know, I had a theory after, you know, of, like I actually, you know, I, I think if this is recorded, I reported to John when I started uh, at Priceline and uh, I think I, I wanted to get into product for a bit because I wanted to have like more say in like what we prioritized and what we built. And I actually came back to that when I left Priceline because I was thinking, oh, I, maybe I'll go into product because, mm. and I actually like looked at a few like VP of product roles and I was like thinking about it. And then I realized the happy, a happier solution is that actually you can have a lot of say of what gets built if you're in a healthy company and a healthy organization as a technology leader. So that's a really, really cool place. So I actually tell this to anybody who's an engineer who's like, oh, I was thinking about getting into product. And I, I'm thinking, I know why you want to get the product. And then they tell me, it's like, oh, I want to get more into what we do, not not just how we do it. And I said, it's a conversation. And in the right orgs, you can totally find that. Um, there are some orgs that engineering actually drives that. And product is just like a, an FYI. I think even Facebook, I've understood, works that way. So it, it depends. So so that's why I keep going back to co-founders. I'm kind of thinking like, yeah, you wouldn't co-found a company with somebody you don't get along with and that you're not excited to to work on the same mission together. And so uh, I, I think that's a great analogy for like what a good pairing for a, a product and technology leaders should, should be. As, as a founder, there's this obvious sense of control over, over what's happening, right? Because it's, it's your business, it's your product. So were you saying, are you using the term co-founder between and with your partnership with product as your position in ownership and like that mindset? A, a little bit, I guess like, um, yeah, just more like two heads thinking, you know, driving what technology does within it. Ideally, like you have, so if you have like leadership and then you have like department leadership and then you have the execution level, ideally you don't have this happening, right? Where you've got like senior leadership coming in and, and knowing really what's happening at execution level. It's not efficient for anybody. It's like, it's really not a good scene. We don't have that here. I mean, you ideally don't want that. So the interface is really between these two. And so you have to have trust in order for this not to happen. You have to have trust here. And so, and, and ideally, and this is what the check-ins are. This is why we do quarterly planning, all this kind of stuff. You start to get to know what, if you have a boss and, and a boss could be a, a literal boss or it could be a board or it could be investors, the wishes of the investors and the board and, and your bosses, they should influence what you do because your expectations are set really by them. And then you can help manage expectations, but they're, you know, what they want you to do is why you are hired and why you are still working there. Once you stop doing what they want you to do, like you're not, you're no use to the company. And so like you have, there has to be, so that's why you got to join an organization where you're like, you're in line with what, with what the expectations are. That's a whole nother talk. But uh, you know, so, so I think, the idea is that, like, you know, we're essentially co-founders of the technology org. And so we want to have autonomy and ownership of that org, but still kind of meeting the expectations of, of leadership. If that makes why sense. Is, um, why is it? And this might be a little bit of a segue, but I just want to, I want to catch it while you're there. You meant, you said autonomy. Why is, what makes autonomy significant to a technology org? Well, I don't know. Autonomy is different for everybody. For me, I love autonomy. It's just the way I was raised. I, I rebel against not having autonomy. So, um, okay. you know, so it's, it struggles, but it's a struggle. And, and um, I've had some years to, to deal with those struggles. And now I'm a little bit um, better at, like, understanding that, that full autonomy is, is not something you, you'll ever get if you have a boss. And that's why you choose to 
that's why you, you'll either choose to be uh, an entrepreneur and self, uh, self-employed and never have investors, never have anything like that, or you'll get into an organization where you can grow, but you're going to have a boss and stuff like that. And, and it really just is like, it's really just directional. You just want to make sure that you know what your bosses are, are want you to execute on and then, and then you find your own way to execute. On. That's the way I like to work. I, I don't like prescriptive anything. I don't like command and control. I like, I like, here's where I need you to go find a way to get there right you know, and maybe in this time. And then I'm like, okay, cool. It's like, you, you don't want to be able, you don't want somebody to give you a blank canvas and say, paint me something. And maybe it's better to say, here's a blank canvas. You know, it's eight by 10 use acrylic. And I want it to be something uplifting. And then you still got tons of autonomy in it, but like you've got some kind of constraints. And so, so yeah, so I, I think it's different for everyone. I used to think like everyone needed autonomy. And so I always wanted to run my team because I needed autonomy. And I was like, okay, well, everyone wants autonomy. So like, um, you know, let me make sure that the teams I create all have autonomy. But, you know, there's tons of places you don't have autonomy. Pair programming, like you go to like Pivotal Labs and everyone's just doing pair programming. It's not, it's not really necessarily autonomy. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's the opposite of autonomy. It's, but, you know, it's, it is like we trust you, but like you're working together to do it. I don't know. I, I think ownership's, Autonomy and ownership are a little bit different. You know, I think for me, ownership feels really, really good. And so it's almost like, but sometimes you have to be able to give enough guidance to set somebody up for success. If you have like a more junior dev who really wants some ownership, you give them a bigger project, right? You give them a little bit more apart. Maybe they get into the analytics game and, and they start to kind of own that and start to, and I just find that ownership is really important for engineers and, and not just engineers because you'll essentially like, people will become more engaged and you'll actually get more out of them. And when you get more out of them, it's like a light bulb shining brighter. They shine brighter. They don't just shine. Like a light bulb can, you turn it on and it, and it lights up the room. That's great. But like, you know, you, you have a really great light bulb where you put a lot more power into it and that thing gets brighter. It does a lot more. It shines the light on different parts of the room that you couldn't see maybe from outside. Now you can see a little bit of stuff. Uh, and it changes the whole um, ambiance of the, of the room. And in, in this case, like the team or the company or the org. And so I think I, I like it because I love the idea of, of work smarter, not harder. And I think with great ownership, you can get more, more dense output from people, more saturation in, in somebody's day. You get better quality work. It'll be infectious to the rest of the team. And, uh, and I think like you might get like dividends down the line where I think is the opposite without autonomy and, and without ownership, certainly for me, but I think for a lot of people, if, if I, let's say you're going to give ownership over some piece of the code, you just kind of came in there and started like telling them what to do, which, which happens to all of us sometimes. I think it can become disengaging and that person's morale might even drop. That person's morale drops. The code isn't going to be well tested and uh, you know, it might not be written well, it might be buggy. And, and certainly, like, they're not going to be excited about it. And then that might be infectious to the team in, in the wrong way. So that's what I think. But, I, again, every leader has different values. And, and those, those will be kind of ingrained in the DNA of the team just as a result of the leader. And so, for me, autonomy and ownership have always been important in my adult life. And so, you know, I can't help but have that kind of flow down to the team that, that I'm building. Getting kind of connecting that to the to the product person in their organization. What role does the the product so does the product person have an effect on what you experience as autonomy? Um, not really. I mean, I think like if you choose somebody who's got that yin and yang, you kind of already know what parts you'll own. You know, for example, uh, the last product owner I worked with. You know, I, I would say that we were kind of like this, more like that. And I actually won't say we were even yin and yang. I think it was, I don't know how to do this with my hands, but there was a mm-hmm. lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it depends on what, you know, my choice to go to, the, to go to the company I'm at right now was a choice of breadth versus depth. A lot more to own and like not a lot of stepping on toes. And so like a lot more to like to grow and, and, and no worries about that. So I think like, yeah, you want to find somebody who's a really nice compliment to you and not a lot of overlap. And I understand this is what you do when you when you choose co-founders as well, you just don't want somebody who's got all the strengths you do, because then when you need that thing, you aren't strong and you got nobody to do it. Both of you have nobody to do it. And so I think you get great ownership just by like how defined the yin and the yang are. Um, and so there's this thing that, that the head of practice doesn't, doesn't have passion for. And this thing that I'm really passionate about and there, so there's overlap and there's overlap in a good way, but it's never really about ownership. Like for example, um, in this situation, this person loves kind of like, you know, 
driving stakeholder meetings. They love, you know, putting together presentations and getting everybody on board and, and driving initiatives with other teams. They love thinking strategy and putting numbers to the strategy. They love kind of like telling that, telling that story. They love like getting their hands dirty. You know, um, they might not be writing code, but they're doing a lot of like still kind of technical things, integrations and this kind of stuff. A lot, a lot of like systems have, especially when using other systems, a lot of systems have, um, you know, interfaces that you can drive your own workflows and all that kind of stuff. So they do a lot of that kind of stuff. So they're they're doing the stuff that I actually don't want to do. I don't want to really do any of that kind of stuff. And so I don't, and they're thinking about the business, for example, and they're thinking, I think about the business, but I'm not thinking about it on like, let's move conversion from this to that. Let's run these A-B tests, theorize this kind of stuff. I think if user, you know, analyzing user journeys and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I don't, I'm interested in it, but I have no interest. My biggest thing is like, is it consistent? Are we using a design system? Can we reuse some some pieces? Is it going to be accessible? Uh, can it? Is it fast? Is it going to affect our performance? Uh, is there some personalization we can do? And should we build this API? That if we don't build that API, or if we do build the API, we're going to need a team. If we get that team, can we actually fund that team for a year, two years, ongoing? And we're going to need to maintain this thing and grow it. And then should we bring a product owner? So I'm thinking more about that kind of stuff. And they're thinking more about strategy and business. So we very seldom step on each other's toes. I actually can't even think about a time that we did. Whereas at my last opportunity, I think the scope was a lot more narrow, so not a lot of breadth. And within that scope, the responsibilities of engineering were not too different from the responsibilities of product. And my product lead in that that project was very technical, and mm-hmm. you know had a, had a computer background, and uh, and so very very technical. And I think probably could have done a lot of it themselves. And I was really just kind of left protecting you know sanity of the code and 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 pushing for for refactor and and, and good development practices, but. You know, it just wasn't that interesting. Where right now I have my, you know, my hands are super full and they're full with this different stuff that's not just about development, you know. And it's stuff that like, like you know, like IT and security and this kind of stuff. And the head of product's interested in it and, and wants to help out and wants to kind of adopt that. You know, I think in the beginning I said revenue, retention, and it's like stability and all this kind of stuff. They're willing to flex all across that, but they don't have that much interest to get deep into the weeds there. And so, yeah, I just kind of, I get ownership just because there's a lot of work to do and the yin and the yang are, are so well-defined. If I was struggling with my product person, and what I mean by that, what I mean by struggle is I don't, it seems that the things I'm saying aren't necessarily connecting with value for, for my partner if I'm, if I'm working with a product person. If I was in that situation, uh, do you have any advice for me? I'm sure you've never been in that situation. <laughs> 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 no, I, yeah, I've, I've been there, of course. I think, uh, you know, the, the fetus part of me that's like, look up and see what the org looks like and see what the values from above are and how they trickle down. Because they'll trickle down different if you're, depending on the org that you're in, if you're reporting to a CTO and they're reporting to a CPO and you look up and the values are different and the goals are different, uh, you might not be able to reconcile it. It might be really, really hard. I think depending on, on, on the company, that, that could be a really tough thing. But I think actually our mutual boss, our last place maybe a couple of years ago, the one really great thing that I took away from that person was that uh, they said, you know, there's only one common language that everyone should speak, and that's the business. And so, uh, you know, I, I would check yourself to make sure that you're talking about the business. And if you really are, and engineering stuff is sometimes hard to sell, but there's ways to sell it directly and indirectly. And I think like, you know, keeping that in mind is, is really important and having that conversation also reminding them that i know i'm interrupting you here but there's i'm curious do you have an example of of like what a disconnect would look like and then another one where there's actually a connection between where a technologist is using the business language or the language of the business yeah so i think i just kind of kind of like alluded to it before um so i you know at our last company you know the team i was leading there was an engineer who was really interested in doing golang Okay, which is cool. It was great. They were all about it. And I was like, this is great. This is like really engaging for, for the team. They really want to learn it. And, you know, maybe there's an opportunity that we can really become innovative here at this company. But the company at that point had not really been incredibly innovative in this kind of way. It wasn't the real space that they had a lot of strength in. And so it was really kind of going against the grain. Sometimes that's a tall order to fill. And um, so, you know. And going against the grain is, and it sounds like introducing a language for the sake of technological engagement. 
Yeah. And so you got to think about it. it. How is that helping the business? Now, I think a clear way, to, like, so let's think about Golang at a company that was JavaScript and Java. Okay. Well, so Golang is going to hopefully engage a bunch of engineers and hopefully retain a bunch of engineers and attract a bunch of engineers. That's really great. It might even make the company more attractive as a technology. It might move the company into like really being a leader in technology. But, you know, I don't think it had really been publicly a, that kind of place. And, and even talent-wise, like a lot of great engineers, and we were a big name. We could get people, but it, it wasn't. We were going to be, you know, Facebook, Amazon, you know, it was going to be uh, tough to do that. And also, like, the, you know, the cultural issues there would have been really, really difficult to, to introduce. So, so I think it actually looking back, you know, I'm glad I had the experience, but I think it wasn't the right choice for the company to go down that route because I don't think there was enough business value in there because it, it took a while to do it. To actually roll out a new language like that and uh, it was hard and, and it had to work with a lot of other teams that were already small and taxed and the company was small and taxed and um, we had support from leadership tech. But I think what we found even with that is like even if you had a CTO who was really passionate about pushing the envelope with, with technology, it has to be in the DNA of the company and, and certainly mm-hmm. the, the current leader of the company. If it's not, you're, you're just, this is the thing, it's like, Values do not, this sounds crappy, but values do not come from the bottom. They might be able to come from the bottom. They only will win if the top <laughs> agrees with them. You know, if you have values here that are different than the values here, they're not going to last that long. Mm-hmm. I, this is what my experience has been. And so mm-hmm. they were close to the top, but maybe not close enough. So I think that was a, that was a, a mistake that I made in the sense that uh, I don't think that was a good business decision. And it was hard to sell to, to product and otherwise there, because the benefits were hard to see. And even the benefits down the road were hard to see. And, you know, I think it was tough. But then again, there's been that challenge that I I came into. I think you had been part of it with with Node.js. And if you hadn't fought that fight with Node.js, I mean, I think it'd be a really tough situation over there. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's choosing the right one. I'm not sure that Golang was the right one and it didn't buy us too much at the time. So I think that that, that's an example that's really, really hard to the the business one. The Node.js is an easier one because it's like JavaScript on the server, JavaScript on the client, same language, same hires. You know, we can't do any of this kind of stuff right now without it because we have this PHP thing. Well, Mm -hmm. we can do all these kind of things. It's like really much easier to have that conversation, even though it probably wasn't that easy. But I think that was like, Maybe easier one to sell and the Golang one was, was not. So that's an example of one I think was not good. And I don't like to do full out 100% refactors. I like to kind of refactor from the inside out if possible. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And and you try to gain wins along the way. So I'm like, okay, well, there's, there's this layer that we really have to refactor. And I think that we can do an investment here and still be able to have that power, this new product idea that you've got and still get us a, a win here. If we do this, we're going to be able to move fast and the team's going to be higher morale and kind of stuff. It, it's easier to make those kind of cases, especially when you tie them to actual existing problems that the product owner can see. Like, hey, morale's kind of low. It's COVID. You know, like, hey, like this part's really buggy and we're having a hard time with it. Or, hey, we get a lot of complaints from customers here and you have a hard time tracing down the, the, the issues and it's because of this kind of stuff. Then you also get, you know, if you have a healthy, you know, um, you have a healthy engineering team, a product team, uh, you have like retrospectives and this stuff comes up at retrospectives. It comes up in, in casual conversations from the team. It's not just you saying it. And so you start to kind of understand it. And then a really great way to do it is the same way that we did it. Whenever I talked about the co-founders we were like, well, if you want this thing, this one of these things has got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, again, when you have a healthy team, you're doing backlog grooming and backlog grooming. They're like, all right, well, let's, um, you know, here's this, this new story that we want to do. Everybody, let's point it. And everyone's like, that's an eight, that's a 13. And they're like, why is that a 13? It's just like changing this field. And, the, and all the engineers are like, collectively, like that field lives over here and here. If you change this, this is going to break. We have to test all this kind of stuff. So those kind of messages come up and they realize that they pay more to do small incremental work because this refactor has not happened. And with this refactor, these things, instead of being taking a sprint and a half, they're going to take a day. And so for them, especially if they want to start doing some, a lot of um, iteration in that, that part of the code base, it's going to be their, in their best interest to do that. So I think that's a really, really great way. But I, I always believe that like, you don't want to go six months to a year replatforming something and getting no business value out of it. So whatever you can do to kind of start doing that MVP style, skateboard, sports car, like mm-hmm. get some stuff out and getting some business value and customer value out early. That's the best way to do it. But 
again, in order to have that, you have to have trust. That product owner, my partner, has to be able to be like, oh, I trust Mike that he wouldn't speak up on this unless it was important. And he didn't speak up about this other thing because he believes that, like, there's another part of the code base that the team actually kind of wants to refactor because it's really gnarly. And I'm like, and, and the product owner would be like, ah, should we get, should we refactor this? I'm like, no, we shouldn't refactor. That's going to take us a month and a half. And that code, hopefully, if this test goes well, will we'll die in three months. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend any time on it. So you have to kind of build trust with, with that. That shows, I think that's actually really an, an interesting conversation because you're showing, as a technologist, you're showing constraint, right? You're showing your engagement just as much as them, that you have the same values and you're making decisions. It sounds like the more you align on the on where the source of the decision making, whether you're making a pro, like a product forward or kind of user experience forward, or how um, your technology organization is organized, the more of those things are rooted in the same foundational values, right? Then you're both kind of coming to the table. You're both showing constraint on each other on yourselves within the domains that you're engaged in. Yep. yep. We're almost at the hour. I wanted to ask you the same question again, but from the product person's perspective, if I'm a product person and I'm struggling to connect with, and I feel maybe conflict with my technology organization, what would you recommend to me to do? Yeah, that's great. I mean, any partnership is all about empathy and perspective, right? So especially if there's tension, Mm. it's just, you know, I actually had had a tough conversation last week. It wasn't around product, but like just having that conversation, we were both like, oh, why didn't we have this conversation before? We've been building detention because someone's thinking something, someone else is thinking something. Get it out, talk it out. If you're having weekly check-ins, which you really should, I used to like, when we're in a world where we could go out and walk out for a coffee, I used to like pushing for kind of one-on-ones that way because once you're out of the office and you're walking, you tend to like talk about other stuff, like not even talk about, about work. You might, you might just talk about what are you doing this weekend or, or how's the new house or something like that. So I think starting there, but yeah, empathy and perspective, you know, you want to make sure that, that you're really thinking about the business too. Um, and, you know, and making sure that you're not just going for conversion all day at the expense of your code base, because what I always kind of found is like, it's really important for, for people to stay longer than a year at a company because the decisions you make, you don't see how they actually really panned out until you've been there for a couple of years. And so I had seen situations where you have a product notice you're coming in and be like conversion, 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 conversion. And then they leave after a year and it's like, uh, you don't realize that those choices that, that you helped to make and, and you know, where you didn't refactor and you didn't clean up those tests, stuff like that. Two years later, that, that code base exploded and like mm. the engineers on there are, are moving at, at like three times slower. So I think that's really, really important. So I think it's like, you know, being self-aware and, and ensuring that you're the business is, um, is first that you're having the conversation at that level, but then also understand what it is to be an engineer. And, and you know, if you're a product owner, you're like really thinking about KPIs and measuring stuff, there's ways to measure team morale. There's ways to, to get feedback through retrospectives, through one-on-ones with your team. Say, hey, like, what's the thing that's bothering you the most in the code base? And see how passionate they are. If they're like, uh, you know, we probably could have more tests, then it's like, okay. But if they're like, oh my God, this part of the code base, I never want to touch it. Every time I do it, I'm like, I'm sweating bullets at night. I'm having nightmares about it, which is actually a thing that happens, right? You start to get some more empathy. Like, damn, I don't want this person to be waking up in the middle of the night thinking about this code base because I'm I'm doing something over this. So I think like understanding the perspective, the empathy of, of the of the engineers, and you know, so I think just mutual perspective is the greatest thing there. So just you know, and, and that's why engineers have to be thinking about product. They have to be like, well. Well, sorry, we can't refactor this right now. This is in a post-COVID world. Like, you know, maybe we're slimmer than we, than we were. And that refactor is going to have to wait, you know, and this is kind of like, and being it together. So I think like, yeah, mutual empathy and perspective is, is I think, key. I love that. That's, uh, I think that's a brilliant piece of feedback. Like if I was going to change something tomorrow uh, and I was a product person, that gives me the a conversation I can have. Hey, we're setting this up, maybe getting involved a little bit in technical requirements gathering, but not too much, but at least just to, being aware that your engineering staff can be coming into something that they look at as problematic. And you can use that as feedback to know, right? Like where, if you were going to invest something and where you want to iterate uh, or change, where to invest that or to consult your technology leadership to understand what kind of benefit or value you can get out of more long-term grooming and use the term hygiene as well, which I think is also appropriate of the products yeah. that you're maintaining. 
Yeah. And, and I'll say actually our, our, our mutual boss, it's another thing to me, like that person should be, should be speaking on your behalf. Like that person should be looking for opportunities to help you out, to be like, ah, you know, I know Jimmy really needs a, uh, a refactor on this thing. Well, this project's coming up. I think it's a really, like actually offer it. Like you should be kind of like, and you should be able to be like the conversation I had about like, well, we're not going to refactor that part of the code base. Cause I think we're going to test out of it. You know, don't waste the product owner's, you know, space and capacity. Like they probably don't have as many, as much firepower with your engineering team as they'd like to. So yeah, empathy, like, you know, throw each other a bone once in a while, you know, look out for each other there. That's a great conclusion, Mike. So before we break, the last thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, if you had anything that you wanted to share that you have going on, or if uh, people were going to reach out to you, how could they do that? And for what reasons maybe they could reach out to you? Yeah, sure. I mean, no, nothing I'm really looking to promote at the moment. I'm really happy to, to to have been invited to to talk. This is super awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, my biggest thing is I love to, to make to make impact. And so if this helps anybody out there, I'm, I'm happy to I'd love to hear about it, um, mm-hmm. but I'm also happy happy to do like uh, you know coaching one on one. If you need a little bit of mentorship, you know, reach out to me. You know, best bet is probably direct by my email, mikegertrude@gmail.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, but you know, I think email is fine. But yeah, I, I'd love to. You know, I, I got a small team right now. I'd love to grow it. So we're also hiring. So any, any engineers looking, full stack engineers um, looking, definitely looking um, to bring on a, a few devs. Um, any technologies, technologies in particular? Yeah, so Node.js, React, TypeScript, style components, awesome. um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Beautiful. Uh, you said email is the best way to reach you at Gmail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So I'll make sure we'll include relevant links and such as well. Mike, thanks so much, man. It was so cool seeing you this morning and talking to you. It's a really great way to start my week, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, let's do this again. Yeah, definitely, man. I definitely have a lot more questions, but um, yeah, thanks a lot for hanging out with with me this morning and uh, we'll be in touch. All right, see you, buddy. See you, man. Thanks for tuning in to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. If you found this conversation interesting or helpful, we would appreciate your feedback. If you want even more content like what you just heard, check out pragmaticlead.com. If you have a story to tell, send an email to pragmaticlead at gmail.com and someone will be in touch. Thanks again.